Greetings and welcome to the Pastor Mike Drop Podcast. Live. We're live. It's yes. it's Wednesday. It's noon. Do you know where your children are? Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know why that's a joke. <laughs> what does it even mean? I don't, I don't know. know, but Wasn't it's that a, a joke. PSA? Like a yeah. That might have been. After school PSA. Yeah, I kind of like that. Mine are at home right now. I know a long time ago. Two of them, at least. Oh. So. Mine are at school, thankfully. That's good. We have responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And, and on that note, since this is live, obviously the news is still fresh and hurtful mm-hmm. and tragic from Nashville and, and the way um, kids are put in harm's way is, is difficult to digest. Uh, so encourage you all to pray. Uh, for the folks who are grieving the most in Nashville and, mm-hmm. and in addition to all the other people who are hurting for all sorts of things. It's what church does. We pray mm-hmm. for each other. And it's not pray without action. Mm-hmm. It's it's both. And I never really understood the conflict between the two, how you know you have to pick one or the other. You either have to do something or you have to pray. Mm-hmm. Seems to me like Christians are called to do both. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're here to to zoom in on. We're reading through the whole Holy Bible in a year. It's been wonderful. Uh, it's been uh, mind blowing. It's been faith renewing. It's been uh, it's been it's been a just a shot in the arm for our church uh, at all of our campuses. And Emily, we have two wonderful guests here today. Yes, to talk through our Bible readings for this last week. Yes, with us we have Mark Brandt and Eli Sutterth, both ministers, online digital outreach. Yes, and campus outreach. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, glad you guys are here. Mark, you've been here for how many years, Ballpark? 23. 23 wow. years. <clears throat> yep. So a lot of you who are listening, Mark was your youth guy. Back in the day. Uh, you mm-hmm. you like helped raise a whole generation uh, of Christians here at Hope. Me. Yeah, including, <laughs> including our yeah. co-host Emily. Yep. Yep. There you go. And my kids. Uh, so thank you on behalf of all of us. Mm-hmm. And now you're doing digital outreach. Yeah, and absolutely love it. I affectionately call Mark our bishop. Uh, you do. Because he's, he's working with a lot of local sites and, and people yeah. who are, you know, grassroots, our heroes in this church, yeah. Yeah. who are starting churches on their own, um, just as volunteer teams. And Mark is the support system for those folks. How many local sites do we have? We have eight right now. That's so yeah. incredible. Yeah. And a local site for those who don't know. There are volunteers that gather together to worship online in a space that they rent most often uh, in towns that aren't near one of our campuses. So, yeah. yeah. It's really cool. Eli, you're at our Ankeny campus. and uh, That's right. So I benefit from Mark's legacy, having helped launch the Ankeny campus. So I've been yeah. up at Ankeny for about six years. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Mark, you were also part of that. I yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah. I remember, yeah, we were trying to discern where that first campus would be, and Ankeny just felt right. You're like the Swiss army knife of hope. <laughs> Yeah. You, you, you have a lot of different gadgets and things you can do. And, uh, yeah, well, but Ankeny was far better once you know we yeah. handed it off to Scott and to Eli and the staff up there. So. Amen. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's all true. Uh, Eli, you do a lot of teaching uh, uh, and outreach and discipleship, and you're also pursuing a doctorate. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I'm about a, a year away from finishing my doctorate, um, focusing on uh, cultural interpretation is kind of the, the general idea, but I'm focusing mm-hmm. mostly on... Um, alcoholism and addiction recovery mm-hmm. uh, and helping us kind of take steps forward in that space. And it's been, it's been really good for me personally, but yeah. also I hope to yeah see how that bears fruit for ministry later. Yeah. That's, well, it, it absolutely does. So, yeah. so much of ministry is helping people in those, in those situations and yep. if not them, their families absolutely. and loved ones. Uh, where are you studying to get your doctorate? So George Fox university, uh, it's mm-hmm. based in Portland. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the dynamics of the last few years have made, Sure. Education a lot easier, more accessible yeah. for people all over. The, so I, yeah, I work with people all over the country doing what I'm doing, which is yeah. great. It's great. George Fox is a great you know, university seminary 
Pastor Scott went there, he too. He did. As, yeah, that was where he got his, his graduate degree. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, we have some really good texts to cover today. Lots of questions. We've had questions come from our church family throughout the week, and we note those and include those. Mm-hmm. We also had a few come in via email uh, yeah. just recently, and Kelsey is here, of course, uh, to take questions as we go, and so feel free to um, let her know. And we'll get to those that we can but we only have a limited amount of time. But do keep your questions coming. If we can't get them, get to them on the air, we'll try to respond via email post-podcast. Yeah. So with that and a little help from Ted Lasso, let's ask some questions. Why don't we just jump right in? Anybody got any questions? Oh, yeah. No, should have saw that coming. Okay. To our Old Testament stuff, what does Hannah's story teach us about perseverance, prayer, praise, prophecy, and the future God has planned for his people? Mark? Like Hannah hits it off right away where she is somebody who's facing tough stuff. She's trying mm-hmm. to get pregnant. She's trying to ha- to have a family and it's not working. And and so what I pulled from this right away is Hannah knew where to turn mm. in this tough time. I think so often we as people, when we have tough stuff that happens, we think, well, I can fix it myself. And as a guy, I think that's one of my biggest faults is that I can fix anything mm-hmm. in any way, shape, or form. And that's not the truth. Yeah. What Hannah shows right away is she takes it back to God and pleads with God. Yeah. It I mean, is pleading. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's so much so that when Eli comes out, he thinks that she's... It's it's mm-hmm. been a, a different sort of morning. Different, for her. not not me. Different Eli, right? Yeah. Yes, not no. <laughs> yeah. But let's clear. Let's right, be clear. Right. And we didn't ask you to be on this <laughs> particular true. episode, Eli, because <laughs> Eli makes an appearance. But I, I love that she she knew where the source of help would come from. Yeah, that's really good. That's yeah. the lesson we could all use. It uh, really yeah, is because we, I think too often, like, like I said, we try and fix it ourselves. That's our. I think even just our tendency as people that, well, there's got to be a way to, to depend upon myself. And that probably just comes from a lot of different places. Yeah. But, I think in our day and age, too, they look anywhere they can yeah. to, like, find yeah, an sure. answer, find Solutions, help. help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hannah's faithfulness is really impressive. You know mm. what I mean? The, her, her, she, she really personifies patient endurance. Um, she's And she's devastated by it. You know, mm-hmm. First Samuel chapter 1 tells us how broken she is because she, she hasn't been able to um, get pregnant. And... Uh, how disappointing that is to her. And certainly there are people listening right now uh, mm-hmm. to this podcast who you're in that boat. Hannah's story is a really hope-filled one then. Yeah. Um, and it's it's hope-filled not just because of the results, not just because she gives birth, but hope-filled because of what she learns along the way too while she's waiting. It's not just the getting. Mm. It's what happens to us in the time of, of patient endurance. Yeah, that's what I would ask too. And in in, in just thinking about, you know, it, it helps us to understand where where our true sense of identity comes from. Is your identity coming from your role as a parent, or mm. uh, from something greater than that? You know, for for people who might be listening, for whom their prayers haven't yet been answered, right. for things like fertility or marriage mm-hmm. or all these things that we explore um, in the waiting, what is beneficial about that? Not just getting the thing that you're praying for, but in the activity of being changed by the activity of prayer. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there's something compelling to that, too, that prayer changes us more than it changes God's perception of us or, or the mm-hmm. things that he gives us. It really does. Prayer, prayer is a gift because it does allow us to come before the most powerful force in the universe with anything right. and, and everything, uh, even the stuff that seems trivial to us. It's like fingernails on a chalkboard to me when I say, well, I don't want to bother God with this, mm-hmm. and so I'm not going to pray about that. We forget about the nature and identity of a God mm-hmm. who can be present with you 
personally as if you were the only one in all of creation. And at the same time, not ignore anybody else. Yep. At the same, it's not like God is bound right. by the same kinds of uh, physical uh, things that we're bound by. God could be more than one place at once and is. And God can give full attention to more than one person at once. Pray to God about everything. Mark, you said that so well, too, yeah. that Hannah's focus was on God. And one last thing on this uh, before we move on to other questions is it's not just what Hannah goes through and what she learns and, and the power of prayer and what that does for us, the blessing it does for us. It's it's First Samuel chapter 2. It's Hannah's song, mm. which is really quite prophetic. She just God gives her a vision of what is going to be, and it goes beyond just her own life story. It goes into Israel. This is this is what's going to happen to God's people, and and then this theme of you know that that rings throughout for Samuel that the humble will be exalted, the the those who are proud will be humbled, and it is it is it is in Hannah's song. She both praises God, but she also foretells the future, which is. It's pretty cool stuff to read. Mm-hmm. First Samuel's a great book. It is. And she celebrates. I think that's what we miss too. I mean, yeah. There's there's mm-hmm. a huge moment of celebration. You know, we, we so often pray earnestly for the things that are on our hearts. Yep. And, and we can often forget that God actually answered our prayers mm-hmm. and then forget to celebrate all the great things that God has done for us and in us and through us. And so having a, a moment which, you know, you could gloss over, oh, she's just singing a song. No, that's that's the culmination. Mm. She is celebrating this powerful thing that God has done for her. So don't forget to celebrate the blessings that you have. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little taste of it. It's it's worth reading. Uh, The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, placing them in the seats of honor for all the earth is the Lord's and he has set the world in order. I mean, it's just poetic. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. It's glorious. And that's what happens, I think, when we have that communion with God is it's not our it's not our brilliance. It's the brilliance of God. It's God's word through her Ooh. and through that song. And it's, yeah, filled with praise, filled with, uh, filled, filled with wisdom, and uh, filled with some things that are incredibly relevant for us today. Yeah. Okay, next question. What stands out for you as you read stories about the prophet Samuel, the rise and coming soon fall of King, fall of king Saul, and the anointing of David as the next king of Israel? It's a good Eli. story. For me, yeah. I this is actually one of my favorite parts of the Old Testament. Like you said, First Samuel is such a great book, and there's a lot here to 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 dive into. And it's important to remember too, when the, the writers were putting this down, uh, they weren't they weren't breaking it up in chapters and verses. It was one continuous narrative that people would tell in its entirety. And and when you when you really take the long view of it, you get a sense for the things that were happening in Samuel's life translate all the way down through generations. And some of the problems that they they have early on in that story continue to repeat themselves. And Hebrew storytelling is all about repetition, parallelism. And so, you know, you see uh, Samuel being dedicated to temple service by his mother, Hannah, which is an incredible gift, but to a priest named Eli, unfortunately, who is incredibly ineffective as a father. He was a terrible father. <laughs> the Bible says his two sons were scoundrels, yeah. is what my translation says. They, yeah. they abused their power. Mm-hmm. Well, then Samuel becomes a father, and his two sons were also pretty bad at their job. Mm-hmm. And then Saul is raised in Samuel's house, and Saul, we know how that turns out, and David was kind of raised in Saul's house, and that goes about as bad as it can possibly go. And on and on through generations, these these failures of who should be mentors in the faith end up not holding up their end of the bargain, the things that God wants us to do to pass along to the next generation, the things that we have learned. 
And I guess that makes me curious because I see that happening too in our culture. What is it that makes us so ineffective? I don't know, setting up future generations for success. We, we want to tend to hold on to things. Samuel definitely wants to hold on to his position of authority. Mm-hmm. He's pretty bent out of shape when, when Saul is dedicated king, and that unravels a lot of things for their, for their system. So, um, yeah, why is it that we struggle so much setting up future generations for success, whether it's in ministry or maybe even just life in general? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a powerful thing for sure. There, there's... The character development that happens in these first 16 chapters, the ones that we're assigned to to hope to read as we read through the, the whole Holy Bible this week, there's, there's arcs to these stories too. In addition to the generational stuff that's happening, they all have their good moments. They all have, they all have even Saul has, has some battles Absolutely. that he wins. Uh, things are going well. He crashes pretty quick. So his arc goes up fast he, and, and he looks the part. You know, it, it, First Samuel describes him as as you know he he's he's big, he's strong, mm-hmm. he's he looks like he's royalty, all this kind of stuff. He fits. I don't know how many Brady Bunch fans are still out there anymore, but he fits the suit. That's why Greg Brady got to sing <laughs> in the rock and roll band because he fit the suit. He he he's, he's on the surface, but then what does Samuel do when Samuel's getting it right and speaking God's word prophetically? Mm-hmm. In, in terms of anointing, bringing the anointing of God to the next king, because it's not going to be Saul. Saul. Saul is the first king, but he's going to crash and tumble. And Samuel's a little hurt, too, because he's, you know, in, in a previous area, previous, previous era when there aren't kings. And Samuel goes to God and says, you know, what, what's up with this? They want a king. And God's like, ah, let them have one. You know, th- th- it, it might bring some order. But, you know, Eli, you, you raised this for what does it mean for us today? It's the, it's the importance of leadership, among other things, that we need faithful leaders. We need people with faithful visions. We need people with, who, who can bring faithful execution to things uh, and administrate faithfully and lead faithfully. And when we don't have that, we see some of the messes that we get. When we see people who are leading uh, for selfish motives or um, to, to try to appease the masses, and we'll, we'll find that in, in our in our portions of reading in Luke's gospel too, Mm -hmm. that God's people have wandered off in part because they've had such poor leadership, such Mm -hmm. unfaithful leadership. So there's the arc of Saul. And even though Saul looks the part, he's going to fail because it makes it all about him. And then here comes Samuel to Jesse and Jesse's kids, which is just this great story. All right, Mark Brandt. I mean, tell us the story of, of Jesse and, and, and eventually the little shepherd boy who shows well, up. Well, I mean, he's led there to anoint the next king, and the Lord says, I'll show him to you, and Jesse brings all the kids, yeah. you know, one by one, brings, as every father would, here's my best, yeah. you know, brings them out he first. He was all state. Yes. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I love that little nugget where, I mean, it says God sees differently. Yes. God doesn't see the outward appearance. God sees the heart yes. and goes through all the sons that Jesse presents. And then he says, this can't be it because the Lord didn't tell me this is the one. Mm-hmm. And he says, do you have any other sons? He says, well, the, the, the little guy out in the pasture right now, but he's not, I mean, the, yeah. the, the illusion here is that he's not, he's not worth much, <laughs> you know, but let's, okay, we'll go get him and sent for David and brought him in. And immediately it was, no, this is the one. The, the patience that Samuel shows in that moment, too. I mean, that's a huge waste of time, right? Right. Uh, right. He says in the Bible, you know, he goes and gets him. How long did that take? I mean, he didn't have a phone. Right, exactly. He's not calling him up and be like, come on in. No, right. like, he, I'll wait. 
Yeah. I'll wait until we get this right. Yeah. And how often in leadership do yeah. we impatiently rush a decision yeah. to only have it go just as bad as it possibly can? Yeah. So the patience and saying, no, let's wait. Let's see how this whole thing kind of plays itself out, right. what God is really doing in the moment. Slow down. Yeah. Don't be in such a hurry. Oh. It's a good word. Leadership is hard. And I've you know been called to lead this church as a pastor for a generation now. And one of the things I've learned about that, it isn't like, here's my checklist of all the things that every leader should do. Probably the most important thing I've learned is how important it is to de- be totally dependent on God, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to rely on yep. God and all these things. And that's why God is picking David. Like you said, you know, quoting First, uh, first Samuel and mm-hmm. what the prophet Samuel is saying, the world looks at the surface, God looks at the heart. Right. I mean... Ultimately, you peel back all the layers of who we are as a church and the way we try to lead around here. And I'm pretty confident that I feel okay about what's in our heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, our, that our motives, not perfect, nowhere close to perfect, not suggesting that at all. But uh, over and over, I've been humbled. Over and over, I've been reminded, gosh, when you lead Mike, you get in trouble, you know? Mm-hmm. But when you surrender... Um, good things happen. And that'll be the Ark of David story, yep. too. We, we we need to end it there because next mm-hmm. week we'll read about David's rise and then his fall, mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. still considered the greatest king in the history of Israel. So mm-hmm. his rise was pretty spectacular because his heart, I mean, what, is, what does Scripture say about him later uh, throughout, even in the New Testament? David was a man after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's inside more important than what's on the surface? So as you look around to, for leadership, uh, look deeper, mm-hmm. look, look closer, uh, look, look for the heart, find out what, what really makes them tick and what the motivation is. Is it selfish? Is it a, all about us or them? Or is it about something bigger? Can I share one really quick yes, you funny can. story you that's tucked right in here? That, you have to. So I'm, I've been here long enough that I was a part of the first read through the Bible that we did that had the card. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. and I remember... Uh, I also led some music. That's another part of my story that not a lot of people remember <laughs> that much because I, I just don't uh-huh. do it that much anymore. But I remember we used to always do this song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Mm-hmm. And there's a verse in there that says, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help mm-hmm. I come. And I just never knew what that meant. And I'm like, oh, well, I guess I don't care what it means. No big deal. Reading through Samuel there that time, coming through, there it is, right in Samuel 7, the Ebenezer stone, the stone yeah. of help that they planted to remind yeah. themselves that God helped them. I'm like, oh. Yeah. It's a neat when Scripture connects dots like that for you, too. Little known fact, right outside our front doors, main entrance, See, there we, go. we have an Ebenezer stone mm-hmm. because of this passage um, that we have a God who's with us, and that and the God who was with us the first 20 promises to be with us for the next right. 20. And again, it's about surrender. Um, the more I know, the less I'm sure I know is <laughs> 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 really where it comes down to, but... Also, that's not like, oh, some false humility. The more I know what God knows, mm. or I, mm-hmm. I, the, the more I trust, and I want people to learn to trust what God has for us and what, what it, the, the knowledge, the wisdom, the direction, the guidance of God, there is no substitute. So there's an interesting tie-in maybe to Hannah's story. So uh, Ebenezer, uh, Ezer in Hebrew means helper, and thus far God has helped me is Ebenezer. Uh, the 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 thing that uh, Adam says over Eve when she is presented in the garden is she is the Azer, yeah. the ultimate help from God. Mm. And I think that that's an important part of wow. what it means to be helped by God is to rely on each other, mm. um, but especially for, for men and women to rely on each other as well. So, um, yeah, when we 
continue to connect all the dots of Scripture, reading through the whole Bible in a year, we see how the Ebenezer um, in Samuel is related to the help from God that he's been giving from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, uh, that we always need to rely on God for whatever season we're in. Amen. All right, so that's Old Testament. We spent yeah. a little extra time on that this week because um, next week's Holy Week. We'll be doing New Testament the whole sure. way. Uh, <laughs> so let's dive into Luke. Yeah. What stood out uh, to you this time you read the story of Zacchaeus, Luke's familiar story in chapter 19? Mike? Well, it was. it is a familiar story. And Almost anybody who's been in Sunday school for six months even, you know, knows the story of Zacchaeus was this wee little man. And we know how the song goes. Mm-hmm. It's also a really significantly important story in Luke's gospel. Um, it runs deep. Uh, there's there's the stuff that's obvious. Zacchaeus is rich. Zacchaeus is lonely. Zacchaeus is seeking something. That's why he's up in the tree. Um, he's, he's, he's despised. He's a tax collector. We can make all sorts of assumptions about him just based on the fact that he's a tax collector and probably feel pretty confident that we're, we've got an accurate assessment, but what stood out to me this time, what surprised me a little bit is in 19 chapter 19 of Luke verse six, even before Jesus got to Zacchaeus's house and he says, I'm going to go to your house today. Luke notes, Jesus was, or Zacchaeus was filled with excitement and joy Mm. Mm. Because here's Zacchaeus who's looking to see something that his money can't get him, and he's got a ton. He's got more than anybody else in Jericho, we can assume, because he's the tax collector. Um, he, he's, he's got probably very few friends uh, because he's despised. So he's looking for something. So I bought this thing, this lie that if I just have a ton of money, I'll be happy. And it wasn't enough, and so I still need to keep seeking um, I, I'm not finding the life I've been looking for. So he's looking for something. But this beautiful irony is God's looking for him. And and Jesus sees him. It's it's almost that, you know, what the cool kids say these days. I see you, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, or, or I feel seen. Mm-hmm. People yes. say, and, and how good, yes. what they mean by that, what we mean by that when we say it is like, I feel like somebody acknowledged me, noticed me, um, yeah. is honoring me. Mm. Zacchaeus could say, I feel seen. Yeah. And even before he has a conversation with Jesus, other than I want to go to your house, um, he feels this excitement and joy because he feels seen. So the one who's seeking is sought. Mm. <laughs> the one who wants to see has been seen. I think that relates to what, Mark, you were saying about, about uh, uh, David. Yeah. You know, here's this seemingly insignificant person who God sees, notices, and does something really powerful yep. through. And mm-hmm. what does that tell us about the nature of God's character, that he seems to notice the people everyone else mm. overlooks? Not the one that would have been chosen. Right. You know, if, I mean, all the other people in town were expectant of Jesus because they should be able to be visited by Jesus. Yep. But mm-hmm. there's something I love how you pointed out in Zacchaeus' heart This realizes the story that he's living is not fulfilling. Right. So to climb up in a tree shows a, a bit of desperation too, I think. Plus. You know, and who had a parade when their kids didn't think, oh, I got to be able to see and you're looking around the bigger people and stuff like that because you want to see what's really going on. Mm-hmm. I think Zacchaeus was searching for something there and Jesus choosing him also set, you know, a tone for the town. You know, I'm choosing somebody that otherwise would not be chosen mm-hmm. and we're going to completely transform the arc of his story. That chosen word. So take that just a little deeper too, because there are times I think if we're going to be honest, when all of us wonder if God's blessings aren't for them, 
mm. but maybe not me mm-hmm. or, or us. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's a lot of people listening right now who might feel the same way. Like, okay, God's blessings are for even people like Zacchaeus. They're, they're, they're for these people in these Bible stories we're reading. They're for David. They're for, um, you know, Hannah. They're, they're for these people we're going to find along the way. But that's them. That's their Bible. They're famous, you know, mm-hmm. biblically. They're, they're the people we all talk about and know about. Or we have people around us and we're like, yeah, they seem to be living a bit of a charmed life. They seem to be doing really well. God's for them. God's not for me. Zacchaeus' mm. story just blows that out of the water yep. and says, yeah, you know what? God's <laughs> long ago, uh, first call out of seminary, I was getting my hair cut by a, a woman in town who um, had a reputation for not being well-liked and those kinds of things. I didn't know. I just needed to get my hair cut. And this is the only place to get your hair cut in this small town. And she's cutting my hair and she finds out I'm the pastor. So here come all the questions, which I love. Mm-hmm. And um, she says, I've been looking for God my whole life. Mm. And I remember saying this and it, again, the Holy Spirit, not me. I said, maybe stop trying so hard to look for God and let God find you. Because mm-hmm. the good news is in this story of Zacchaeus, God's mm-hmm. looking for you. Uh, and I hope that encourages everybody who's hearing this right now. Yeah. You don't just have to find God. God's yeah. seeking you. God's trying to find you right right now, mm-hmm. in this moment, maybe through this podcast. Yeah. I think there is some reciprocity there, too. Uh, it would be, it'd be interesting to see the parallels between uh, David's life and Zacchaeus's life. Uh, David uh, debases himself dancing before the Lord. Well, Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector of this town. But he climbs up a tree. To, he's not a child at a parade. He's, nope. he's the chief dude yeah. of this town, yeah. a very important position. And yet he debases himself to put himself in Jesus's line of sight, at least. You know, that there's there's at least some part of us that says, I, you know, God is looking for us. And at the same time, how, how far am I willing to go to find the things that, that, that I'm pursuing with God? Well, and it, it doesn't, it's not an excuse for us just to passively sit right. in a corner and say, well, if God finds me, good for him. Exactly. You know, I, I mean, it, there's nothing wrong with seeking God. I'm going to uh, climb that tree. Yeah, seek and you will find. Right. Yeah. So Z- Zacchaeus does some, some searching, yeah. some seeking. I'm encouraging that too. He's willing to lay down his dignity it, it to goes, find God. It, mm. Right. But like you said, David, in that, the, the, it reminds us of another song for kids, right? I'll yep. become even more undignified Undign- yeah. than Spoiler this. Spoiler alert, though. I mean, we're not there yet. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Keep David Keep does plenty of undignified <laughs> things does. before then. So. Yeah. But yeah. that's also a reminder. I think sometimes as Christians, especially maybe educated Christians, mm. like those of us who've been to seminaries and, and pursuing degrees like we do. Uh, yeah, at the end, it's still not about that so much as it's about, I'll become even more yep, dignified absolutely. than this. I'll debase myself. I'll, I'll be the fool for Christ, mm. uh, as scripture says elsewhere. Okay. Uh, how can we make sense of the King's harsh response in Jesus's parable of the 10 pounds? It is harsh. Yeah. Hard shift. Eli? Is that me? Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Eli, aren't you glad you came on the podcast today? Here's a tough question. Yeah. Well, I think what's important about this too, and I said it before in, in the, the context of 1 Samuel, uh, there weren't chapters and verses when this was written. And even it tells us while Jesus was saying these things, meaning while he was still at Zacchaeus's house eating this meal with this crowd of uh, people who were disgusted that Jesus would be eating with a tax collector and sinner in his home, um, being in community with somebody who everyone else mm. dismissed, that's when Jesus tells this parable uh, about the things that God is giving you 
expecting a return from, you know, that, that God gives each one of us gifts in our life, uh, and each according to their purpose is how Matthew's gospel puts it, but it's the same parable, um, that, that God has given each of us a part to play in this world, which is an amazing, amazing blessing, mm-hmm. that the, the, God, the God of the universe would allow us to participate in the things that he's doing to transform this world according to our giftedness but that he also expects a return on that investment in some kind of a capacity. And yeah, there's a harsh response to it, but I think good. God is putting a lot of trust in us, not having to, but willing to let us play a part in this thing that he's mm-hmm. doing to, to transform the world. We had a question come in about this that says, why is Jesus referred to as a hard man who benefits uh, from others? So what you're saying is similar to that, like well, there, he's benefiting. And, and the audience is important. He's telling this story uh, yes. to a lot of religious people who who think that they are God's gift to the world. And I think what Jesus is asking is, what is coming from your being so blessed? You having a relationship with the God of the universe is there any fruit coming? Is there leadership fruit bearing? Are you passing what you've learned along to the next generation or are you just keeping it for yourself? Yeah, there's. it's also, I think, important to read this parable in context of Luke. There's a development happening here in Luke's gospel. Luke is really going out of his way to set up the contrast between here's how you faithfully respond to Christ and here's how you don't. And, and also that Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God into um, this world, ushering it in in a way that is not comfortable for the religious establishment, and just specifically them. I mean, we could talk about Rome, too, and the empire and governments and, and the world, but specifically Luke really starts to emphasize that less and much more about those who are in charge of the temple, those who are running things. Story after story after story, bam, 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 all in a row reminds us of these things. And then Jesus comes and says, yeah, I'm, he tells this story, and there's judgment in this story. But Jesus is just reminding us, we have a God mm. of justice, not just mercy. We, we have a God, I mean, mercy is going to be the thing we need in the end. That's the only way we're saved. But there's judgment for people who reject the coming of the kingdom of God. Uh, is, and I know that sounds harsh on our ears, but it's true. Mm. And there's just no way around that. We can try to, to you know, shave down the sharp edges of that. And say, oh no, there, there's there, God is not a God of judgment. He's just a God who's super nice. God is super nice. And God ultimately offers this amazing grace. But God's also not going to tolerate um, a complete rejection of his message. And in this case, the temple isn't just a building or a religious establishment. The temple's now Jesus. I mean, he is the embodiment of, 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 of the whole presence of God in our world. And if he's being rejected... There's going to be judgment for that. If it sounds harsh, it's to us. It's to those of Mm. us who are religious and think that we have it all figured out. That's who it sounds harsh to. Because that's who it's pointed at. Exactly. If it sounds harsh to us that God is a God of justice, that means that we have some soul searching to do to see, well, why does that sound so harsh to me? It might be because in my pride, I think that I've got this God thing figured out when I don't. Right. Well, and there's an entitlement there, too. I think the Pharisees and the the teachers, the, the religious leaders had... Well, we're entitled to this. Right. Mm-hmm. It's 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 the idea of gifting uh, to share it or to invest it or to use because of what God has done is, I think, the right way to look at it. Mm-hmm. You know, because God has entrusted us with this, I should use it. Yeah. I think the other side is fear based because I don't want, you know, and that's where judgment can come is when we when we are so afraid. 
you know, and we then we choose the wrong thing because we're afraid, not really realizing God has entrusted you with this on purpose. You're, you are chosen. I mean, the meta theme here too, they're all chosen. The people that are listening right now, you are chosen. I used to say that to the students all the time because there are students that shine more than others. That's just the nature of, of our society. But every single student is chosen. You are gifted on purpose for a purpose and discovering that and using it is a beautiful thing in response to what God has done. It really is. So this, this parable, just to make sure everybody understands what we're referring to, is in Luke chapter 19. And Jesus is saying... So here's these three different folks who were given pounds or or talents or or some sort of sum. And it's a it's a metaphor. It isn't to be taken literally. We really not got to be careful with right. that. But one came back and said I got a 10 time return on your investment. And Jesus Jesus telling this story says thumbs up. Next one five times. Again good although doesn't get as much praise this time. Still good. And then the other one who's, like you said, Mark and Eli, both of you refer to this. It, we have a responsibility to take this Christian journey and allow God and his spirit to move through us to produce fruit, that it's going to have a return, that there's going to be an outcome. Love is not powerless. I mean, mm-hmm. if we're going to live out Jesus' great commandment to love one another, that's going to produce good fruit. Uh, if we're going to forgive people, that's going to produce good fruit. Yeah. If we're going to be unoffendable, that's going to produce good fruit. If we act like the rest of the world and we're afraid of judgment, Eli, I think you said that so well. I think it's kind of a mirror in front of us as religious people. Bad religion is us depending on our religion to save ourselves. Mm-hmm. Good religion is religion that points us to the Savior, yeah. to mm-hmm. Jesus, instead of ourselves. So if this shakes us up a little bit, and it, it, hopefully what it's doing is shaking up our false confidence, our false security in religion to save us instead of, which is bad religion, instead of a good religion, which is going to point us to the only one who can save us. He's the one who's on the move in these stories. He's the one who's telling these stories. And the reason he has to be so harsh here is the same way you got to be harsh to somebody who's driving a car off a cliff. Hmm. Turn around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're going to get hurt if you, don't, if you keep going this way religious people, you're not going to like the outcome. Mm -hmm. The imagery from, again, from David, from Psalm 23, my cup runs over with blessings. Um, The Dead Sea in Jesus's context is a body of water where water flows in, but it doesn't flow out. Right, it's dead. If if our lives continue to be a receptacle for blessings, but we put a lid on it, we don't allow that cup to run over onto other people, to flow out from us, to to bear fruit, if we just keep it to ourselves, So you're saying how we treat people matters? How how we treat people matters, what we do with the things God is... I think what you said, Mark, is great. It's a responsibility. You know, Mm. God has given us a powerful Mm. responsibility with whatever He's given us, whether it's one piece of money, talent, whatever the metaphor uses, or 10 or 100, God says, I'm giving it to you to use, to, to, to do something with, to produce something with. Could, could it be, and I, I'm uh, right on the edge of pushing this too far, but could it be that God is saying, I sent Jesus into this world, not just so you could get saved for heaven, but I sent Jesus into this world so you could change the world. Absolutely. When, when Jesus says to Zacchaeus, salvation has come into this house, that should cause us to take a theological step back and say, what is salvation? Soteriological step back and yeah. say, what is salvation then? Because has he professed Jesus as Lord? No. He has given away all of his resources. He has blessed people. He has turned a corner, repented and started to use the things that God has given him to bless other people. And that's when Jesus says, salvation has come into this house. That that should 
rattle a few cages. Yeah, it's kind of a both and too. You know, well, that, yeah. that if if you're going to do that, Jesus is going to be your Lord you're, for eternity, right? And mm-hmm. that's good news as well. So it's not like we have to worry on the other side of that or minimize the eternal nature of this blessing. Mm-mm. But gosh, we're good at losing the here and now. Absolutely. Mm. Okay, next question. Why did Jesus weep over Jerusalem and drive out merchants in the temple on Palm Sunday, a day that saw crowds of people praise and celebrate him as a king? Mark. So as a dad, mm-hmm. I often see mm-hmm. the outcome of my kids' decisions before they actually happen. Yeah. And I can't always deter them from it. Right. It's going to happen. And sometimes it's better for them if it happens. And not that that's a great direct parallel here, but I I see Jesus weeping over Jerusalem because he sees what's going to happen. Mm. He sees that they just still don't get it and knows that it's necessary. I think that's the other thing we have to understand. This is necessary, what's about to happen. Mm -hmm. But he's crying because he just wants, as a, I mean, he wants better for them, I think. I want better for my kids. Sometimes I can't always affect that for them. But I think Jesus is weeping for the overall so arc good. of this story. I think that's a really good analogy. We see the personal nature of God in the person mm. of Jesus Christ here. We we see how God feels about our rebellion against him. I mean, we just talked about judgment, but Jesus is not representing somebody who's looking at Jerusalem and saying, "I see, I told you, you 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 terrible temple priests, uh, you Sanhedrin, you Pharisees, you, 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 I kept telling you, I kept telling you, and now you're going to get it. Yeah. And I feel good about that, which mm. is our no, human sinful nature. It breaks his heart. It breaks mm-hmm. his heart. He weeps. It, he, he weeps other times too. He weeps yeah. at Lazarus's funeral. We'll yep. read about that in a few weeks. Um, there's, there's weeping uh, all around. He tells stories about people who are weeping. But here, God's heart is broken. God, God's heart is broken when uh, continuously, we reject his invitation to change the way we think, yeah. to, to turn around, to accept his grace, to let it be amazing for us. <laughs> you think Jesus also knows where he's going. Mm-hmm. He knows he's going to a cross, and he's like, oh, you know, <laughs> here, here we go. And, and and I don't just mean like because you rejected me, I'm going to the cross. I mean. I'm going to the cross and you're still going to miss the blessing. Mm-hmm. That's the part that I think is breaking his heart the most. Yeah. Uh, contextually, and, and this may not be where you want to go, but because you mentioned uh, Nashville at the top of this, mm-hmm. if Jesus were alive today looking out over our cities, yep. mm-hmm. what would cause him to weep today? Yeah. And and should that give us as as his people... Uh, a framework to look at how are we addressing these things? The the classic question, you know, are you allowing your heart to break over the things that break God's heart? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I think it's, there, there's a statue in Oklahoma City that just says Jesus wept and it shows a statue oh. of him weeping uh, where the bombing happened there. I do believe that's where we find God in our sorrow. And, you know, for more on that, like the whole question of human suffering, we've tackled that mm-hmm. here in previous podcasts. I preached on that a couple of weeks ago. People can look that up on mm-hmm. YouTube for a for a more extensive kind of examination of where's mm-hmm. God in our suffering. I'm glad you brought that up. I, mm-hmm. I think it brings things back to reality. So we don't want to just read scripture for the sake of figuring out some things, you know, historically all, along the way. We want to read it. We want to learn it so that we can live it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's yeah, our absolutely. that's our theme this year. Yeah. In Luke 20:17, Jesus asks his listeners what the scripture means. The stone that the builders reject has now become the cornerstone. So, what does that mean? 
Eli. Yeah, if you're reading uh, a paper Bible, this will call out and you can like kind of look at, it's it's a quote, and Jesus is quoting uh, from Psalm 118, and he does this a lot. Uh, Jesus was a, a gifted Bible scholar and teacher. He knew his stuff, obviously. Um, there was a teaching technique in, in uh, Hebrew rabbinical system called Ramez, where you would quote part of Scripture and they didn't, everyone didn't have their own copy of the Bible. Uh, you'd have it in the temple, you'd have the scrolls. So they would memorize in their, in their training, in their education, the, the pieces of scripture that were important. So what Jesus would do and what other rabbis would do is in this teaching technique, Ramez, they would quote part of the scripture knowing that their audience would be able to fill in the rest of the blank. And Jesus does this too, getting to Holy Week. He quotes Psalm 22 on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus isn't forsaken by God. He's quoting Psalm 22 because he wants his audience to fill in the rest of the story. So read Psalm 22. But in this case, Psalm 118 talks about uh, the, the, the salvation that God is going to bring into the world. Part of Psalm 118 says that this is the gate through whom you can walk right. to encounter God. So what he's saying in this cornerstone reference is look at the rest of Psalm 118 and find me, find Jesus in that place. Mm. Psalm 118.22 says the stone the builders rejected has been, right. become the cornerstone, which is what Jesus says here in Luke 20. Four verses later, it says, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, which we're going to get next story, Palm Sunday, and we'll celebrate this weekend. There's foundations for all these things. It's not just like Jesus woke up one day and said... I got an idea. Let's do a Palm Sunday thing. You know, let, let's <laughs> let's uh, let's 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 make a big entrance. You know, that oh, way. Yeah. It was it was it was all a fulfillment of ancient texts in this case. And to me, that just adds uh, depth and richness to our faith, and 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 reminds us this is not just some kind of crazy fly by night sort of somebody sat down and wrote a religion mm-hmm. uh, kind of book we're reading here. This is deep and there's multiple layers. And even if we had a podcast that went 24 hours just on these texts that yep. we're looking at today, we couldn't cover it all. Um, so, you know, let God's word live for you as you read it. Uh, let it come to life for you. Um, but along the way, no, and, let, and let's say the obvious. Who's the stone the builders rejected, Mark? I mean, he's got a name. He's the one with... Jesus? <laughs> well, and, and even in that too, they're about to reject him yep. in just a short period of time. And he was not who I think even the religious leaders wanted to build the church on. Yeah. And yet Jesus is saying, hey, the one that's going to be rejected is going to be the cornerstone. You don't, you don't get it yet. It's a really good point. So... Mm-hmm. Well, that he is now the temple. You said that yeah, per- perfectly, Mike. Yeah, that, that Jesus is now uh, fulfilling Old Testament law and creating a new thing with himself as the place mm. where God brings salvation. It's no longer in, in temple religious worship. It's in a personal relationship with God's Son, the person Jesus Christ. Yeah, and that changes everything. It does. What can we learn from Jesus' answers to some tricky questions in Luke 20, verses 20 through 39, about paying taxes and marriage in heaven? Yeah, the, Jesus is pretty smart. <laughs> we can learn that. <laughs> yeah, um, and these are zinger questions. So now the the temple priests they don't even want to go and take Jesus on because they're smart enough to know Jesus is going to smell it coming. So they send mm-hmm. spies, which tells you everything you want to know about their sure. motives right. and, and their character. Hey, let's try to get them by getting somebody to record something and. 
and then we'll turn it against him. And what they really wanted to do was hand him over to Rome. Yep. Uh, because then he's that Jesus isn't their problem, and the Roman gar- government can deal with Jesus harshly. Because they'd nail him as a revolutionary if he even hinted at saying that you shouldn't have to, you know, honor Caesar with your taxes and with your coins here. And so as soon as Jesus says something like that, they'd they'd just tell Rome and Rome would take care of it from there. Jesus is too smart for that. Uh, he's he's not going to be drawn in, and in a, in a sense, Jesus never really answers their question. Yeah. He he and he doesn't dodge it. He's just saying, "Look, I'm God. I'm smarter than you, <laughs> and you're not going to pin me in a corner here. I've got wrestling moves you've never seen before." Uh, and this, and so he says, "You know, take out a coin." This is fascinating to yeah. me because the, the very spies that the religious leaders send have laws that would say no graven images. And so if they even have coins on their person, they're already, their hypocrisy is already shining through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Jesus already zinged them, and everybody knows it. He's like, show me a coin. They're like, oh, oops, I didn't want to show you my <laughs> coin. And then he says, so who's, whose image is on that coin? It's Caesar. Eh, just give it to him. What do, wh- I'm, he, with all due respect, Jesus is saying, I got bigger fish to fry. I, I've got a kingdom that goes beyond Rome mm-hmm. that I'm then I'm ushering in. So come follow me. And he says, render under Caesar the thing, and render to God the things that are God's. That's the whose whose image is on you. You know, God has created man in His That'll image. Preach. So God doesn't want your money; mm. He wants your life. Right. You know that, that you bear the image of God. So give your life to Him. That's Jesus. So when anybody ever invites you into an argument. Don't get on their level and debate it the way that they want to be debated. Yes. You know, take the high road. I love that Ted Lasso's on the uh, clip. Yeah. You know, the first episode of the new season was awesome. Didn't you see know, it yet. Don't, don't sling mud. Yeah. Just be you. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. That's good. Uh, the second part of that is the one probably it's pressing for some people. Uh, some people are in marriages that are great and they want to make sure they're going to still be married in heaven. Mm-hmm. Other people in marriages are not married and they're, or their marriage isn't so great. <laughs> like it would be a blessing if I wasn't married. Maybe it's, <laughs> if we're going to be honest, you know, uh, the, what they're thinking. I'm blessed with a wonderful wife. And so I did some deep research into this. And here's what I found that we have to remember in Jesus' day, marriages were arranged. And so one thing that Bible scholars suggest, not all agree on this, we'll see. Um, They say that in heaven, involuntary marriage will not be a reality. It will only be, you know, the freedom to get married or not be married. Um, That's fine and good. We don't know for sure. That's the reality. All we know is what different people postulate and think might be. Others say it's very clear. It's very blatant. You won't have marriage here. Here's the thing. Heaven is so much the kingdom to come. Life, you know, after death in this world is so much bigger, broader, more colorful, more things. Everything about it, we can only imagine. We, We can't even you know, get there. The Bible's very clear on this. It's like from a pregnant child in a womb to the world outside that world. You, you get a glimpse, you hear a voice, but how much do you really know? By definition, we can't be disappointed in heaven. So mm. it's not like you'll be in heaven and go, I, you know, heaven's great, except I'm not married to the person I love so much. Mm. It, don't worry. It's going to be better than you could ever imagine. Um, and I'm hoping my wife will still have me, you know, in, in, in heaven. That, <laughs> I, I, she tells me she will. So that, that's good news. That's good. Then there's the bigger point here, worth noting, because I know we're running out of time, mm-hmm. and that's that the resurrection is real. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus is saying. Mm-hmm. He's saying, look, you're, you're trying to pin me on a marriage question. You're trying to pin me on a tax question. 
the point is the resurrection is real. And so they're asking about what will you be in the resurrection? Will you be married? Mm. Will you not be married? Jesus is saying, I'm here to tell you it's real and you'll be glad. Um, and That's it'll good. be exactly what you want. And then some. That's good. Okay. One more question uh, for today. And then we have a couple we didn't get to. So we will hold those for another time. Yeah, sorry. Yep. But for today, what do too many preachers and Bible teachers miss in the story of the poor widow's sacrificial offering? Since we only have a minute, I'm going to wrap this up, guys, and feel free to chime in. This is a this is a really this is what I'm passionate about because I think a lot of preachers abuse their pulpit uh, when it comes to this, and it's particularly used during stewardship drives. There's no doubt this woman gave sacrificially. This poor widow mm-hmm. gave her last two coins, and she's not the villain in the story. She she's actually the victim, uh, and she's the victim of the religious leaders who compel her who guilt her, who shame her into thinking that she's supposed to give her last two coins, which is not usually the way this is preached. Uh, But there's no way chapters in our Bible were not like, it's not like Luke was writing and he goes, okay, that's the end of chapter 20. (laughs) And now chapter 21, those numbers were put on later for reference purposes so that we could say, oh, in Luke 20, it says this in Luke 21, it says that I think this is one of the biggest mistakes the reference makers made when, mm-hmm. when they when they put a gap between the end of chapter 20 and the beginning of Luke chapter 21, because the end of chapter 20 is very clear. It's uh, Jesus says, beware of the teachers of religious law. They like to parade around in flowing robes, love to receive respectful greetings and how they love the seats of honor in the synagogue. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public like that widow right there. Mm. They cheat people like her all the time. And this is what I'm talking about because she feels like she's supposed to give her last two coins, which again is a heroic, sacrificial, beautiful gift. Her offering is beautiful. I'm not saying that. I don't think Jesus, more importantly, is not saying that. But boy, when we abuse scripture and ignore that just so we can try to get a little more money in the in the church coffers uh, or, or reach a goal, mm-hmm. shame on us. I mean... One of the themes we're kind of we're we're grabbing both in Old Testament and New Testament readings for this week is just because you got religion doesn't mean it's right. Mm. Mm. You know, just just because you are used to hearing things traditionally read or taught this way, make sure you take a fresh look. Yeah, Jesus didn't come to bring a new religion. He came to bring a relationship with God. Amen. Mm. That is that is such a good summary of like everything we've read so far uh, <laughs> this year. Mark Brent, thank you. Absolutely. Eli, thank you. Emily, thank you. Mm -hmm. And thanks to all of you for tuning in as always. We appreciate you so much. This podcast is growing um, and we know why. It's the word of God. Mm -hmm. Uh, People are hungry for this. And we have um, these wonderful conversations that we get to have about God's word. So tell your friends, spread the word, keep doing that. We appreciate you. And uh, it's Holy Week coming up. So we'll see you this weekend. Here in West Des Moines, it's worship night on Saturday night, Palm Sunday services on Sunday, services in Ankeny, where you are, Eli, services at all our campuses, our local sites. Yep. Um, it's, it's Palm Sunday. It's Holy Week. Uh, we're, we're following Jesus to the cross mm-hmm. and to the empty tomb, and it doesn't get any better than this. Yeah. So we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us today. Please make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite platform, and we'll see you next time.